No, I'm not Philip. <laughs> I'm just here to do the reading. Ooh. I have to read it sideways. I don't think I can read it up there. We're reading from 1 Peter. Ah, oh, it was nearly there. 1 Peter 2, 11 following. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Right, that, thanks, Anita. Um, I think most people know me. I'm Philip, and I'm uh, part of the leadership. And my privilege to bring you God's word this evening. So let's pray just before we start. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the diligence of the apostles in recording. Uh, the revelation that was um, given to them by, through the Holy Spirit following Jesus' time here on earth. And we thank you for the way that that word has been uh, um, preserved and handed down through the centuries so that we have it here 2,000 years later uh, to look at and to learn from and to, to draw, be able to draw closer to you. So. As we look at this passage tonight, we pray that you would open 
our spiritual eyes and uh, that that would help to bring change to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm, I'm not sure about you, but when I first began to read the epistles, perhaps the first couple of times, um, they seemed to largely be to me some sort of like encouraging commentary and every so often there'd be some pearl of wisdom that, you know, the, the type that used to be printed on encouragement cards or in uh, tracts and there's, there was usually, you know, one or two from each um, epistle and then you'd sort of, I'd sort of read, read that and, oh, there it is, there. And I think the one in First Peter was in chapter 5, he says, Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand and in due time he will lift you up. He cares for you, so cast all your anxiety on him. I'm sure some of you have probably seen those, those uh, little cards. So when I was looking at the passage tonight, um, it seemed to be one of those sort of commentary passages that, that identified a few problems and basically Peter was telling them just how to get over it or get around it, uh, you know, before he got onto some some uh, statement of, of uh, substance. Uh, but of course, that was in my privileged ignorance. And as we get to know the context of these letters, uh, when they were sent, to whom they were sent, and the sorts of problems they are facing, they take on a whole new meaning. And I guess for me, the first thing that became obvious in this passage was uh, it just seemed to be a lot of unfairness. <laughs> and um, children with siblings have formed an idea from a very early age as to what is fair and what isn't. I don't know if you can see that. There's a few probably common complaints. Um, I'm sure we've all lived through some of these ourselves or through our children. But, but our sense of fairness is almost always governed by what we see around us. It's not, not governed by any historical perspective or by the experiences of other people in overseas countries. And nor is our perspective the same as God's. So we as Christians have had it so good for so long in Australia and in much of the Western world and we have little experience of the injustices suffered by so many in the past and in, and in particular in countries where the persecution of believers is common. Every day we should give thanks to God for the freedoms that we currently enjoy and to think about how wisely we should use the time and resources that we have. Yet in this post-Christian Western world, we're increasingly being challenged by authorities who have little or no regard for biblical values. The Christian worldview is, in many ways, no longer accepted by many people in the wider community. Living according to biblical teaching will often place us at odds with the prevailing views presented by our governments and the media. 
for many Christians in the world today and certainly in the past, living under the rule of an ungodly government has been the norm. Privileges have been few and freedoms limited. Life for most people living under these regimes is nothing short of drudgery. And it was the same for the people for whom Peter was writing in this passage. But Peter provides practical suggestions as to how to live well without succumbing to despair. Now Gavin uh, started this series on First Peter three weeks ago and that was um, followed b- up by Chris Boland and then Sam last uh, Sunday as they... Uh, we worked through chapter one, and I'd encourage you, if you have, if you've missed any of those, to go back and have a look on our website uh, to, to follow the series. Now we were supposed to be doing uh, the first ten verses of chapter two tonight, but uh, Simon was unavailable, so he'll be doing that next week. So you'll have to come and um, catch up with that then. But two weeks ago, Chris Boland spoke about the importance of dealing with life's challenges in an appropriate way. There will be situations and hardships inflicted upon us that we've got no control over. However, as Chris said, it is how we respond to and deal with these afflictions that has the greater influence over our lives. As Christians, we should never take on the mentality of a victim. Any pain and persecution we suffer is not wasted by God. And again, Chris reminded me this morning of that passage in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas um, were arrested after they'd been um, attacked by a mob in Philippi, thrown into prison, and their response being in prison was to sing psalms and hymns and to encourage the other prisoners despite being in stocks. And the outcome of that was not only that they were released, but they got to bring the Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. Uh, That was largely because of the way they faced uh, the afflictions that were imposed upon them. Ultimately, as God's children, we have so much to be be looking forward to. Paul says what this is that we have ahead of us in his letter to the Colossians, and it comes shortly after the passage that uh, Gavin shared prior to communion. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And no matter what happens to us here, God is in control and he has assured our future. Jesus also affirms that any pain we endure because of persecution is not wasted when he said these very well-known words, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So tonight's passage begins with Peter addressing his readers as foreigners and exiles. Dear friends, he said, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now some of these people were probably Jews who lived far from home in Asia Minor at the time and others were believers who had been displaced and scattered because of persecution in the Roman Empire. Paul was... Uh, sorry, Peter was reminding them that they were currently residing in a place that was not their permanent home. Their real home was to be in heaven. In their present situation, he details how they should live and relate to those who had authority over them. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For those of you who might be relatively new to Alice Springs, Peter's words can be quite relevant. When you find yourself far away from the support of your family and friends, there is the temptation to indulge in sinful desires. And it's well known for people who travel alone to distant places where they're not known, perhaps for work or holidays, that they can fall prey to the lure of immorality. The escort, injury, the escort ind industry thrives on such people and Christians, unfortunately, are not immune from this. Peter urges that his readers live lives that are exemplary so that non-believers may see their good works and ultimately give glory to God. And he continues to explain why and how in verses 15 and 16. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We know that there's nothing more off-putting to those who might consider following Jesus than seeing a Christian's bad behaviour. In verses 13 and 14, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, or you could say to... Um, governments or town councils who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. These days, submission is regarded as a practice to be avoided at all costs, especially if you're a woman. But this is not how God sees it. Jesus is the supreme example of being submissive. And you can read about this in Philippians chapter 2. 
how his obedience to his father's plans for our benefit was possibly only through his submission and going to the cross. Scripture is consistently clear. God encourages submission to every worldly authority as long as it doesn't compromise our obedience to him. Such submission on our part requires an act of will. It's probably your experience, but there are probably, it's probably not your experience either, but uh, there are probably few Christians in the world today or in past years who could honestly say that they are happy with all that their governments are doing. That certainly wasn't the case in Jesus' time. Submit yourself does not mean that you can't speak into situations and to advocate for change on behalf of the oppressed. But when Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that, that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, he also includes Caesar's authority that has been given to him. Now when we think of the life of Jesus, we tend to think of him growing up under the Jewish law uh, in Nazareth, in Israel, so being influenced by the law of God, even if it was distorted by the reasoning of the Pharisees. However, Jesus grew up under the Roman colonial law as well, with all of its brutality and arbitrary imposition. There's quite a salient quote here from a, a Bible teacher called H.L. Ellison talking about um, how we go about dealing with unjust and unfair and unruly governments. He says, the quiet bearing of injustice under the guise of law is always harder than plotting the overthrow of the unjust, but it is also more effective in the long run. We've all seen plenty of footage of uh, angry people in the streets in various countries uh, protesting against their governments and seeking to overthrow them, in many cases being unsuccessful and being, uh, being the, the, uh, the protest being put down. But he's saying, and in the passage that Peter's writing today, is saying that it's better to quietly bear injustice under the guise of law than to try and overthrow the unjust because in the long run it is more effective. And we know in the Bible that God shows no tolerance towards rebellion for any reason. For him, as, we, as mentioned in the book of 1 Samuel, rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft. So rather than rebelling, we need to allow God the space to intervene as he chooses to bring about good. Paul instructs in Romans 12:19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord.
verse 17 in tonight's passage summarises the basic principles of Christian living. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. This verse is worth committing to memory and being displayed in your home. And there's a similar well-known verse in the Old Testament book of Micah which says the Lord has told us what is good, what he requires of us is this, to do what is just, to show constant love and to live humbly in fellowship with our God. Now in Peter's time, slaves, not servants, provided perhaps the most extreme and most painful example of being subject to human institutions. Instead of opposing the practice of slavery, the apostles in the New Testament, including Peter in tonight's text, instead direct their readers on in how to best live with it. He says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Just in case you're wondering, God would no more condone slavery than he would the persecution of his followers. Yet slavery was common in the ancient fallen world. In the first century, it was seen as perfectly legal. And it wasn't until 1807, following several failed attempts, that the dedicated work of committed Christian Wilbur, Wilbur, William Wilberforce had slavery abolished by the British Parliament. That's 1750 years later. And it took until 1865 through another committed Christian, President Abraham Lincoln, to have slavery abolished in the USA. Peter focuses on the matter of suffering. Again, a common occurrence for believers in his time. He says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under, under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, Jesus is our supreme example. We're told in Mark 10, 45, that he came to serve 
and not to be served. Throughout his arrest, trial and crucifixion, Jesus suffered injustice and brutality from those who abused their positions and he submitted himself to it for our sakes. Another salient quote from the same man. Few Christians grasp what a privilege it is, painful though it may be, to be able to suffer the injustice that Jesus suffered. If the slave is willing to serve for Christ's sake as his God-given vocation, then the sting of slavery has gone. We cannot share in the atoning work that Jesus has done except to profit by it, but we can share in his sufferings. What Peter is saying here is that if Jesus was willing to suffer unjustly, then so can we. Paul again affirms this in Romans 12.1 when he says, tells us to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Hardship is something that we have learnt to avoid in our Western culture. Yet according to Peter and Jesus, it is something we should embrace. There are some surprising benefits that result from suffering which affluence does not provide. First of all, hardships bring people together. My mother grew up in the Midlands of England and was still in primary school when the Second World War began. She always said that despite the constant threat of bombings and the severe rationing that took place, that they were such good years because of the way people pulled together during adversity. A more recent example was when we had that sudden unexpected microburst storm in Alice Springs last year. Once the wind, had, the destructive wind had subsided, people appeared from their houses and worked together to clear driveways and to provide support to one another. We met people for the first time who had lived in our neighbourhood for years. <laughs> Relationships built during times of adversity are usually deeper and longer lasting. Hardships deepen our faith. There's nothing like an insurmountable problem to force us to rely on God and his mercy. Dependence on God is healthy. Adversary, adversity encourages greater personal reflection contemplation, meditation and prayer. But self-sufficiency usually isolates us from God. Hardship stimulates ingenuity. It helps us to develop new skills and perspectives. When faced with a serious challenge, we become motivated to think outside the box. Some of the greatest inventions in history have come about when people have been faced with a serious problem. In many cases, God has ultimately revealed the solution to their problem when people have turned to him in desperation. 
If you don't know how to do something, seek God or ask God's people to help you. Hardships offer the chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. People are much more open responded to respond to the gospel when they have a persistent unmet need. Christianity has flourished in countries where persecution and hardship is evident. And hardships can make us stronger and more resilient and give us a greater appreciation for what we have. Research has shown that people who have faced significant adversity in their lives are often more successful than those who have not. A healthy camp dog is usually more resilient and faithful than a pedigree animal raised from its litter. Many of the world's greatest leaders, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Winston Churchill, for example, have arisen during times of adversity. So the content of these two letters that Peter has written in the New Testament takes on more and more relevance for us as we continue to see the erosion of Christian values in our society. Some of you may remember our former Prime Minister, Malcolm Fraser, once famously saying, life wasn't meant to be easy. While this may be true under God's direction, our lives remain full of purpose. In summary then, Peter encourages us to live blameless lives, avoiding the pitfalls of sin. When challenges and adversity come our way, we should embrace them and seek the good that may arise. We should submit to authority but not allow ourselves to take on the role of a victim. We have been chosen to represent Jesus and to participate with him in eternity. We should be willing to speak out on behalf of others regarding injustice, yet be prepared to submit to all authority. And as Jesus said, be as wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. All of this appears daunting, but with God's help, we can stand firm and overcome. And I'll just close with these two verses from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even when things are challenging for us and for others, you are in control of our world. 
We thank you for the way you have prepared us through the teachings of the prophets and the apostles so that we know what to expect. Help us to remember your eternal truths and not to lose heart. It is such a blessing for us to be able to tap into the truth, the truth which sets us free as Jesus has promised. We ask for your wisdom as we navigate life's difficulties and as we attempt to share the gospel with those who don't know, yet know you. And above all, we ask for your strength to help us to stand against temptation and the assaults of the evil one. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.